Today as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, two weeks ago we looked at the fact that everything that matters in life is built on love. Last week, everything that matters to God is built on love. And today, we look at everything that matters to the church should be, must be built on love. Love is the foundation of all that matters. And 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that we can have all the knowledge. We can be the greatest people in the world. We can give all our money away. We can become the world's greatest philanthropists. We can help the poor, but if we don't love, we're nothing. We gain nothing. Love demands that, and this passage, you'll notice that Paul writes, he says, you know, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I behaved like a child, I acted as a child, but when I became a man, and then he goes on, love demands that you and me, that we grow up. Love demands that we begin to practice Christian maturity. And it's, and it's kind of an amazing thing to talk about maturity, <laughs> for me, but an uh, amazing thing to talk about maturity, and some of you got that, some of you are laughing, and some of you don't know what it means, but that's okay. Um, but I'll run into every once in a while someone in their late 20s. Now, if you're in your late 20s, I'm sorry, I'm going to pick on you. But someone that I, and I was talking, actually I was talking with John Bunn about this earlier this week. You run into somebody in their late 20s, and they'll go, I just don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I'm like, you're in your late 20s. I mean, you know, you, you've graduated college. What, I mean, what do you mean when you grow up? I mean, for all practical purposes, when I was 27, I was, I, I mean, we, we already had our first house and married and all this stuff. I'm like, what do you mean when you grow up? And there's this sense that, and a lot of us, and, and a lot of you parents do this, you perpetuate adolescence so that people don't grow up. You continue, listen, moms, the umbilical cord can only stretch for so long in duration and time, and it can only be lengthened such, such a long a longevity. I mean, eventually, it's got to be cut, it's got to snap. And so one of the things that we do, uh, even in the church, is that we have spiritual immaturity, and for the most part, churches are okay with it. Um, it's not, it may be okay to the church, it's not okay to God. God demands that we grow in our relationship with Him. That we mature in our Christian conduct, in our Christian behavior. I mean, when you're a child and you share a toy, that's a big deal. That's great Christian conduct. But when you're an adult, I shouldn't have to remind you to share your toys. I mean, when you're an adult, it should be a given. And when you're an adult, you go from the understanding that it's my toy... To its God's, and everything that I have is His, and it needs to be used for God's glory. And you see that in people's faces as they spiritually mature. When a person first comes to Christ, it's my Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my church. What church do you go to? If I go to First Baptist Church, it's my church. And as they progress in their faith, it could be months, it could be years. They'll eventually get to the point, hopefully, in their Christian walk and maturity that it will develop and it will transition from my church to it's our church. It's our church. It's our home. It's our people. This is our place to worship. And the problem is some of us get stuck at stage one or stage two and we never evolve into stage three where we come to the realization it's not mine, it's not ours 
It's his. It's not my life or my call. It's not my choice or my decision. It's not my money or my home or my family or my wife. It's not our home, our church, our family, our life, our money, our vacation. It's his. It's his church. We are his family. We are, this is his money. Everything that we have is his it's only on loan because you and i are not going to be able to take it with us and as much as i like things personally as much as i want to call them mine here's the realization that it's his and to be absence of those things the absence of those things doesn't mean the depression of my life the absence of those things actually means in greatest possibilities it could bring the greatest freedom to my life Because things tend to tie us down. And God's will for us is that we grow in our relationship with him. That we grow up in love. It demands that we grow up. 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Love is the only thing that never fails. It's greater than faith. It's greater than hope. Love is at the foundation. And so we look in the church We want to focus on several things. The first is our commitment to God. Our commitment to God has got to be built on the foundation of love. All that matters in our commitment to God is love. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Love is at the foundation of everything that we should be a part of. Everything that goes on around us should emanate around the source. And the source of what is leading us and guiding us and and working in us is and must be the love of God. Love God with every fiber of your being. That's our commitment. That is, our, that is God's hope for us. That we would love him with everything that we have. Every fiber of our being. And ladies and gentlemen, what that means is that we, we don't hold anything back. We surrender it all to him. All the good, all the bad, all the ugly, all the things we don't want people to know about. Because he knows about them. We surrender the whole entire self to him and what he's going to do uh, to borrow from kind of lingo from C.S. Lewis he's not going to kind of put a band-aid on our lives he is not just going to kind of smooth over the rough edges that is not the purpose of God the purpose of God is not to polish you to make you a better you the purpose of God is to completely obliterate you to destroy yourself the, the person that you are and to create in you a new being a new self and that is why Jesus wants us to put off the old self and put on the new self God doesn't want to fix what is broken. God wants to give you a new you. Therefore, don't worry about your brokenness. Because once you surrender to God, it's not about you anymore. It's not about that self anymore. God is interested in giving you something entirely new. God makes all things new. Quit worrying about what you need to do to measure up. Because he already has for you a new self, a new identity That's in Christ. 
It's far better than anything that we could do to polish or rub over the rough edges and make them smooth. God is not interested in correcting the wrongs. God is interested in triumphantly leading your life, guiding your life in and through the love, the very love that caused him to send his son to a cross for you and me and for a world that may never, ever trust in Christ. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves us. It is immeasurable to the human mind. It is not logical. It goes against all logic, all states of being. The fact that God loves us and the fact that we can't do anything about it. The fact that he has demonstrated his love in sending his one and only son. And his only, his desire for us is to be fully committed to him. To love God with every fiber of our being. That is the foundation of our commitment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. With everything that you have to bring to the table, love God in it, through it, and with it. And if the only thing that you can bring to the table this morning is your hurt and your pain and your, your animosity or your disdain for a holy God that loves you, then you bring it to the table with him. Because I can tell you this, just as God dealt with the death of his own son on a cross, God can deal with anything that you want to throw at him because he's so much bigger than our circumstances. His love is greater than our hatred. His love is greater than our depression. His love is mightier than our oppression. His love trans, uh, just transcends all understanding. He doesn't give up on us. He wants us to love him with all that we are. That is our commitment to God. But then not only do we have this commitment to God in a relationship with the Father... We have our relationship to each other. We must serve together in love. Love is what permeates our lives. Love is the foundation of our faith, foundation of the church, foundation of the body of Christ. And so as love is the foundation, then as we come together collectively as the body of Christ, love becomes the, sore, the sole core of our relationship with him and our relationship to each other. The reason that we are in relationship, hopefully, is due to the love of Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted in love. And then Galatians 5, 13. You were called to be free. Use your freedom to serve one another in what? In love. Everything that matters in the church must be built on love. Because here's what God knows. This is what has come to be known in the church. The more that you and I are unified, the greater our God is magnified. I want you to hear that. The more that you and I are unified, the greater God is. Is magnified. Now, if you need scripture for that, I'm going to give you Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul writing, he says, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Unity matters because love matters. 
Because when we're unified together in the common cause of Christ, in loving people to the very threshold of the cross, God is magnified in our lives. We are diminished. Our circumstances are diminished. Our defining moments are diminished. And we become defined by the one who has birthed us, by the one who has called us, by the one who has saved us, by the one who has set us free, and by the one who's continually and acting an ongoing relationship with us. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 15 through 18 says, We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in what? Up in love as each part does its work. The foundation of the church is love. The building of the church is through love. Our commitment to God must be based in his love. Our commitment and relationship to one another must be built on that foundation. We must love one another just as Christ has loved us. And the ultimate result of our love of God and our love for each other through Christ and in Christ is a unity. A unity that binds us together. A unity that ends up magnifying the wondrous work of God because let me tell you something it's an amazing act of God when you and I are individuals when we can choose to do our own thing but through the act of God the grace of God and the love of God we choose to work together for a common cause not bringing glory to our church or to our team or to our group but allowing God to work and giving all the praise and glory to him that's what love is. Love is not about noticing self. Love is not about having the spotlight on us. Love is about allowing God to have the spotlight on him. And we are the workers in the field. Working, building each other up, encouraging each other, held together by every supporting ligament that's growing and builds itself in the love. Love is in the bloodstream of the church. If it's not, we don't have a church. The church must be founded on God's love because God gave his son for it. That's how he demonstrated his love. So our relationship to one another. And that brings us to what our mission, how we relate to the world. Our relationship to God, our relationship with others that are a part of God's family, the church. And then our relationship to the world, our mission in the community and beyond. Love the world as God did. Romans chapter 13 verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courteous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Now, here's what's happened in American Christianity. American Christianity has liked the conversation of love. We love loving people. But what we have sacrificed in loving people is the very faith that we're called to stand for. What oftentimes has been lost in our love of people is the very gospel that God sent His only Son to not only defend, but to embody. 
And so you and I, as we love the world, as we love people to the very threshold of the cross, we must not love them to the point that we compromise or forsake the gospel of Jesus Christ. We cannot put it and allow the gospel to be behind the scenes with just love. Because if we do that, we are detaching ourselves from the one who made love possible in the first place. If you and I do that, we're doing that in a way that is completely obliterating the gospel that was so precious. The good news of Jesus Christ. You and I, as followers of God, must love him with every fiber of our being. We must allow love to be at the center of our relationships in the body of Christ and the church. And as we interface with the world, as we go out into the world in the hopes that the world will be saved through him, we must love the world. But in loving the world, we cannot sit on our Christian principles without speaking the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to be resilient in our stance. Why do I say that? Because if you and I don't stand for something, you and I will fall for anything. The Christian faith was not just handed to us. The Christian faith was much like uh, the, 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 the birth of a new nation. And you want to think about the birth of a new nation, think about the birth of this nation. How many lives have been sacrificed for the cause of freedom? How many? Go Google it today. See how many people gave their lives in rebelling against the English monarch, King George III. See how many people that would become and generations of Americans gave their life on the battlefield in that issue. Or go through the other conflicts that we have, the the Spanish-American War, the Civil War. Uh, We can talk about World War I, we can talk about World War II, we can talk about the Korean War, Vietnam, and even up into the modern day, Afghanistan, Iraq, all around the world, how many people have sacrificed themselves for the cost of this nation? How many people have sacrificed themselves for the cause of this of Christianity. Now scripturally, I can tell you the apostles did. They gave their lives, they all died a martyr's death. Scripturally, I can tell you the Son of God did. He gave his life for the ransom of us and even for those who would never come to the saving knowledge of Christ. He still Love them. And so our mission in the community and beyond has got to be love. Now, when I say that, I want you to understand, I I did cause some, evidently some confusion last week when I spoke about the fact that everything that matters to God is built on love. And so I gave this story about how I had attended the Southern Baptist Convention in 2006 and how Condoleezza Rice was speaking. And when she spoke, she said Zerkawi had been annihilated. He will no longer terrorize the United States. He is dead. And at that, at that moment, all the delegates to the Southern Baptist Convention, less two, less me and the deacon that was sitting with me, we didn't rise to our feet. And there was thunderous applause to the convention. Now, I, want you to, I want you to hear me very clearly about why I was appalled. I would never apologize for the sake and for the people who have sacrificed so much to give us the freedom even to be able to assemble in this room. 
you will not find a greater supporter of military. My family is military. My father retired from the United States Air Force. My uncle retired from the United States Air Force. My grandfather won the Bronze Star in the Pacific for his work on the Pacific front. My other uncle, my great uncle, was in the plane behind the plane that dropped the Hiroshima bomb. So my family is enmeshed and ingrained in service to country. And please, if I ever gave you the opinion that I don't support America or I don't support our troops, nothing is further from the truth. So in the cause of freedom, in the cause of our service to the country, many young men and women have had to take lives of other people who are lost. And that's sad. But it's a reality. War is a reality. I will not apologize for annihilating evil. I will not apologize for annihilating that which is bad. But what is appalling is, it's one thing for you and me and for our friends and neighbors and our children to go on war's front and to have to take a life for the cause of country. But it is indeed a whole nother thing to celebrate having to do so. And so when I sat in the Southern Baptist Convention and those individuals which were not on war's front were sitting comfortably in an arena in Greensboro, North Carolina in June of 2006 and they were applauding a death of someone they had never met and many of those people in the room had never been on the forefront of war. I was appalled because an institution like the Southern Baptist Convention whose mission is to reach the world for Christ. We cannot celebrate the death of an individual. Yes, we can celebrate the fact that they, he, they will not terrorize us. They will not terrorize our causes. They will not maliciously aggravate the cause of freedom. Because war happens and lives and people die. But we cannot celebrate and be glad that someone doesn't have another opportunity to trust in the love of Christ. Now this past week, you know, many of you, I, I, I'm, I'm a Facebook person, but I rarely comment. But this week, I've commented three different comments because I just, something just crawled all over me this week. And that's the fact that Duke University, where I did my graduate work, decided to potentially allow a Muslim call to prayer to occur from the tower, bell tower, <coughs> of Duke Chapel every Friday. At first when I saw this, I thought, <coughs> there's no way this is true. But then as I began to explore it, it was true. And I'm like, what in the world? I mean, how in the world have we reached a point that we would allow such things to happen from a chapel that was built and funded by people of the United Methodist Church who for all practical purposes are evangelicals and for all practical purposes believe in the saving knowledge of Christ. They would roll over in their graves. And so I put a comment on Facebook that I thought it was absolutely appalling and ridiculous. And then, not knowing that Franklin Graham had also released a letter, I called the Alumni Association and I said, I don't give a lot of money to the Alumni Association or to Duke Endowment, but I can guarantee you I won't give you a dime until this is rescinded. To which she told me in the office, 
that their office opens at 8.30. She had been there since 7.45, and the phone had been ringing off the hook all day long. Now, Duke came up, came up with this great public relations announcement. We know how those are. And they said, we celebrate the diversity of our students, and our goal is to provide unity. But we realized that this decision was going to call disunity, so we yanked it. <laughs> you yanked it because you were getting defunded. That's why you yanked it. See, I believe an ace is an ace, and if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Now, let me say this. After I had posted my appalling comment on the internet... An individual who I went to school with many, many years ago basically used some improper terminologies, we'll just say, um, and then said that I was unchristlike in my delivery. And I'm like, no, I am not. And this is why. And so I went through this long expression. If you, if you have, you, and some of you are going to Facebook right now, what did he say? <laughs> And I was very selective with my words. But I, I want you to understand, uh, and I'll just sum up what I said. I love Muslims. I love them. Because I believe that we should see the same kind of potential in the human experience that God has seen in us. That there is the potential that a Muslim can become a follower of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. You want to see a powerful missionary on the field. Don't you send a white boy from North Carolina to Islamic country to do missions. You send a Muslim who has been radically saved by the power of Christ. And then he goes back home and he shares his faith. You'll see what can happen when God overturns people's lives. Our stance for the world, we must love them. I love Muslims. We're fighting a war. And the war, and here's the other difficulty. I'm not going to get political today, but I'm just going to say this. Now, some of you are going to say, well, because he said that, he's going to automatically get political. I say, I know all about the reverse psychology. Um, I don't care... What the Democratic president or Republican president says about the war that we're in. I don't care what Congress or the press secretary wants to put a spin on what we're in. We are at war. And this is, here's what. If you're at war, you need to know who you're at war against. We are at war against the principalities of this world in a spiritual sense. We are at war with a militant jihadist group that are Islamic. It is an Islamic fundamentalist state of affairs that we are at war against. Now, we may not want to call it a religious war. It is a religious war. When people are willing to die in the name of their God, it is by proxy a religious war. And guess what? Spiritually, we are in a religious war. Against those who do not know Christ and who are adamantly trying to take down Christendom. We cannot sit back on our doctrine and in our pretty pews talking about how much we love Jesus and how much we love the world. But yet we don't offer the world something better than what they're pursuing and following. If you and I love 
But we do not love, and that love does not come, and it does not come from the source of our strength and the foundation of who we are as followers of Christ. If that love does not come from the central gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news to transform our lives, then you and I will love a generation of people to the very entrance of hell. When Christ has said, no, I want you to love the world. I want you to love people. I want you to love people of other faiths. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. But use the opportunities that God gives us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We cannot be silent. We cannot sit and pretend like, We're just going to pray for the circumstances of our missionaries. We're going to pray for the circumstances of this world. And that you and I are not going to have to do something. I want you to to look at this. Because when you look back at the scripture. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. That I've already read verses 15 through 18. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Jesus Christ. From him the whole body joined held together by every supporting ligament. That is us the body of Christ. We grow and build ourselves up in love. And then it goes on to say as each of us does our part in our work. It does not say we build up each other and we love as we sit in a pew every Sunday morning giving praise to Jesus, giving honor to God, but not caring enough to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a world that is dying without him. Maybe we've missed the mark of what the gospel is. The gospel is the transforming message and hope of Christ. And, and, and don't, listen, don't, I don't ever, 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 ever want you to think that I hate anybody. I can honestly say I don't hate anybody. I don't like what people do. I don't like how people live. I don't like that there are children today in Islamic countries that are picking up arms against our troops. I don't like today that we are sending 18 and 19 and 20 year olds that should be for all practical purposes enjoying their, first, uh, their, 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 their fourth uh, date with their, with their girlfriend or their, their, their future wife. But instead today while we sit in the comforts of this place in Tennessee, they're on the front lines. And some of them will give their lives having never lived. And some of those young men and women who are on the front of our assault against the evil of this world, they're in the same spiritual condition as the jihadists that are trying to kill them. Many of them don't know Jesus either. Mm. And many of them don't. And we are too tolerant. But I will say to you as a church. To us as followers of Jesus. That God does not give up on anyone. He doesn't. And he continues to pursue us and love us. And we get the blessings of his love and the joy of his peace. 
God is interested in the church becoming the church. Of growing to maturity. So when it comes to Memorial Day and when it comes to July 4th and when it comes to Veterans Day. For many of us, for a lot of Americans, it's just another day. But for many of us, it is a reminder that for the most part, in many ways, we are able to enjoy what we enjoy because of the sacrifices of those who, unfortunately, have paid the ultimate price. And as great and as beautiful and as moving as that is, we will miss the whole hope of the world and of the universe and of God's will if we don't understand that God has done so much more for us. And every day should be a reminder that we exist and have our being because of the sacrifice that he alone by himself has paid. Even when we didn't know him, even when we didn't love him, even before the foundations of the world, he was there. He's not given up on us. He's not going to give up on us. He will continue to pursue us and he will continue to pursue you. And our stance and our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Who humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. You and I must bear a cross. We must be sacrificial in our love. Our commitment to God is built on love. Our commitment and our relationship to one another is built on love. And the relationship that we have to the world at large must be built on love. But when I speak of love, I'm not talking about the love that's so often uh, encapsulated in the Valentine cards at Hallmark. I'm talking about a love that emanates from an understanding and a complete surrender to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The love that trans has transformed your life. The love, the love that... The love that's transformed my life. And the love that has continual work in each of us. God is looking for the church to be the church. The beacon of light that she needs to be. The beacon of hope that she needs to be. To stand our ground to get ready for persecution, to return evil with good, and in the words of Martin Luther King, to drive out darkness. You and I cannot drive out darkness, and this is a quote from him, with darkness. Nor can we drive out hate with hate. But darkness will be driven out with light, and hate will be driven out with love. Love is the foundation. Love never fails. You can have faith. You can have hope. But neither of those matter. If love is not the source of your strength. Will you pray with me?
Almighty God, we come to you today. And we say thank you, thank you, thank you for your sacrifice. God, we come today and we say thank you, thank you, thank you for the sacrifice of millions of men and women who have given their lives in the cause of freedom. So that we might have the opportunity to sit here in East Tennessee today and talk about it. And God, many of us are moved by the sacrifices of the men and women in our armed forces. But God, we need to be moved at our core by the sacrifice that you've given. Lord, I thank you that this week that Duke rescinded its decision. I pray that you would be with that campus and be with the schools and be with the public and all the conversations that have gone on about it. That it would wake up the church to understand that we have an absolute obligation to stand for the truth of Christ, even if we stand alone. That we must not be silent. That we must be proactive in loving people and pointing them to Jesus. Loving them to the very threshold of the cross. Never giving up on them. Praying for them. Praying through our own hatred. Praying through our own animosity. Praying through our own disdain. God, it's so easy to get mad. But help it to be seasonal in our lives. As we seek your will for your glory. Lord, if there's anyone here who today has realized for the first time what the gospel is truly about. Lord, I pray you give them the courage and the strength to come and pray and to receive you. If there's others here who have been under the illusion of Christianity. And have become disillusioned at what faith embodies. But today the light of the gospel, the light of Jesus, the hope of the world has shone brightly into our lives and into our souls. If someone would say today, today I've been refreshed, I feel renewed, then Lord this altar is open. If there's someone else here today that's dealing with a variety of circumstances and situations and fears and anxieties. Let the one who can cast all fear away. Let the one who breathed life into you, let the one who has never stopped loving you, let the one who knows you better than you know yourself, let him take his hand. Let him have control. Surrender yourself to him. Be made new, a new, crea new creation in Christ. The old passes away. You don't have to worry about what was, what you did, where you've been, what you've said. The new has come. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to respond to you and the freedom to assemble in this place. May we never take it for granted. May we never take sacrifice for granted. Lead God and direct us in this invitation as we invite the Spirit of God to work in our lives and as we respond to Him in spirit and truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.